I don't know if you are, we're, we're as distracted through that video as I was. And as I'm going, something feels off about this. And then it just felt like we were watching one of those old Kung Fu videos. And anyway, Missional Pathway is going to be our big rock for the year. We will talk more about it in a couple of weeks. But the whole purpose of it is for us to begin recognizing how God has shaped our lives what he has uniquely called us to do and then how we can begin living that out. And then the cool part is in September and October, we're going to do that corporately as a church as we gather together and go, we're 70 years old as a church on, on January 18th, or I guess we're 71 in about a week because January 18th, 1947, thank you. I can't do math. 1948. January 18th, 1948, this church began. So we are going to be celebrating our 71st year. And in September, we're going to look back over the course of that time. Some of you who have been here through much of that time, we're going to rely heavily upon your experience of going, how has God uniquely shaped this church? And then we're going to begin to look beyond the walls of this place and go, God, what are you, what are you up to around us? Then we'll assess what do we have in our hands? What have you entrusted to our care? And how can we bring what you've given us to bear on the needs that we recognize beyond the walls of this church? And the really fun part for me is that in September and October, we will have an opportunity to shape the vision for 2020 and beyond as a church. But before we get there, we have to kind of get activated ourselves to go, God, what's my part in this? How have you shaped me? And what are you asking me to do in this? So that's going to be the big, that's what this, this spring is about, is just getting awoken to what God has in store for each of us individually. All right? So please put that on your calendar. It begins in March and April. We're going to begin, begin having these conversations. We want to give you plenty of lead time because this is a big deal. If you are just joining us, every January, we kind of pause from our regularly scheduled series and we assess, God, where are you leading us? And we want to be really clear about the direction that we are going as a church and want to be very upfront about it so you know what to expect. And typically this time of year, what we'll do is we'll say, hey, here's our new focus, our new vision that's different from our old focus and our old vision. But a couple of years ago, as God very clearly stated, this is what I want Lighthouse Community Church to be about. And it's really not different from what other iterations. There's some, something like 55 other iterations of the church in Costa Mesa alone. And we're not suggesting that our calling is any different from their calling. We just want to be really clear about what we are called to do and then begin to discuss, well, how do we do this? And so last week, we talked about our purpose statement. It's the same purpose that Jesus had throughout his three years of public ministry. And it's also the purpose for which the very last thing he commanded his disciples, he commanded us to do. It's the same purpose that we feel we have as a church. Let's go ahead and take a look at that. And if you would read this along with me, for those of you who have good enough eyesight that you can read. Lighthouse Community Church is committed to making disciples who love God Love one another and love our neighbor. So our purpose as a church is to make disciples. We talked about what that was last week. A good working definition for a disciple is a fully committed follower of Jesus. We ourselves are invited into that. His invitation was not, hey, pray this prayer and then go on living any way you want. His invitation was follow me, be with me, learn from me. And also... 
make other disciples teaching that teaching others what i've taught you what i have revealed to you um and, and baptizing them in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit but remember i will be with you always i'm not leaving you alone as orphans i'm going to give you the same spirit that was empowering me to ministry so we are called to make disciples and we are called to be disciples well of course this raises the, the difficult question well what does that mean in the 21st century, when Jesus is no longer walking in flesh and blood alongside of us, what does it mean to follow him and be a disciple? And so we've identified three primary um, areas of growth, three primary things that we focus on that are kind of the, the touch points, the markers of a fully committed follower of Jesus. And, and what I love about our purpose statement is we not only are very clear about what we're about, making disciples, but then we lay out each of those three markers. First, that we are growing in our relationship with God, that we are always falling deeper and deeper into love with him and learning how to do life with him. Secondly, that we're doing so in community with one another. It is not good that we try to navigate through life alone. We need one another. And so what does that look like to do life as a community of Christ followers? And then finally, the goal is that we would live our lives beyond the walls of this place in such a way that we are loving our neighbors, not simply to love them, but to help lead them to and direct them towards Jesus so that they can find the same hope that we've found in him. So that's our purpose. And that is the process. And over the course of the next three weeks, we'll look at each of those three markers, loving God, loving one another, and loving our neighbor. But today we're going to focus on that first one. Love and God. If you have a Bible, turn with me to John chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the seat back in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, congratulations, that is yours. It's our gift to you. Um, as you're turning to John chapter 15, I just want to remind us a little bit of what I spoke about last week. We talked about uh, a disciple in Jesus's day had three primary goals that they were after. First, they sought to spend time with their rabbi, to be with him. And we're not just talking about a couple hours a day, three days a week. We're talking about 24-7. They would live with their rabbi, walk with their rabbi, do whatever their rabbi did, spending time with him. And in that process, they were being sharpened and refined by their rabbi. They were learning from him because we recognize that far more is caught than taught. And so as they're spending time with their rabbi, naturally they're being shaped in his image to become more like him. And that's the second goal of being a disciple is to become like your rabbi. Without even realizing it, you begin thinking like him, doing the same things he did, interacting with people the way you saw him interacting with people. In a lot of ways, you begin to reflect the heart of your rabbi as your heart is shaped to reflect his. And ultimately... The final goal of a rabbi is to do what your rabbi did because rabbis in Jesus' day recognized they weren't going to be around forever. And so they sought out disciples that they could train up in their image with the expectation that those disciples would one day become rabbis themselves and would find other disciples to pour into and shape in their image. And so that investment was not just for one generation but multiple generations. And in the same way, we are seeking to be to spend time with the rabbi, to become more like him so that we can pass on to further generations of disciple makers what we've learned and the hope that we found in him. But all of that, all of that begins 
with us spending time and being with our rabbi. And Jesus recognized that. Jesus was all about that, which is why in John 15, one of the very last things he said to his disciples on the night that he knew he was going to be arrested, he knew that the next day, the end of his public ministry, it was going to come to a crashing halt on the cross. So one of the last things he said to his disciples was to reiterate their need to remain connected to him. John 15, we'll begin in verse 1. And he uses this metaphor of, of a vine, of a grapevine and the branches that come off of it. He said, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that is not fruit bearing, that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes and cleans up so that it will be even more fruitful. Now listen, you are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Now remain, some of your translations say abide, remain in me as I also remain or abide in you. Because no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. And neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And then in case they didn't get it the first two or three times he said it, he reiterates it one more time. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. We're a visual people, so <clears throat> this is the closest I have to a grapevine right now. This is typically in my office. I know it's a little bit of a Dr. Seuss tree, but <clears throat> when you think of a grapevine, I typically think of the, the part that carries the grapes, but when he's talking about a grapevine and he's saying, I'm the vine, what he's really talking about is the rootstock. Right? He says, I am that part of the grapevine that is rooted into the ground, that doesn't bear the fruit itself. What I do is I nourish the branches that come off of me. And you are like one of the branches off of that grapevine. And you are intended to bear fruit. But if you try to sever yourself from me and, and produce fruit on your own, you don't even realize it, but you're already dead. Because the nourishment that you need to stay green and to stay fruitful is not present for you. And therefore, although you might feel green, you might feel lush, you might feel like you're being pretty fruitful with your time, there is no fruit that can last coming from you. But if you will simply remain connected to me, he uses the word abide or remain. And that's the heart of his message here. If you will simply stay connected to me, then fruit will come as a natural byproduct of our connection. But the connection is the most important part. Now, we don't live in an agrarian society. So for some of us, other than Diane Winicky and a few others of you in here who have a green thumb, this doesn't necessarily resonate. So let's use another metaphor that Jesus uses elsewhere. At one point during his Sermon on the Mount, he says to the gathered people around him, including his disciples, he says, guys, you are the light of the world. You're a city on a hill. Your lives shine because of the light that I have implanted in you, because of the hope and the truth that I have given to you. Now let your light shine in such a way that the whole world sees it and is drawn to me so that they can find the same hope that you have found. And so on the day when I return, they will glorify me as their Lord. And so he says, we are light. He basically says that you and I 
were designed. This is my favorite toy. Many of you have already seen this. What's shocking to me is in three years, I have yet to break it. Let's see. Let's see if it survives another day. Where's the, where's the trust here? Right? I really should have a backup. Anyway, it says, this is who you are. You were designed by God to shine in the darkness, to be a beacon of hope. And yet, according to John 15, by yourself, on your own effort, you're not a light. You can't produce light. You're nothing but a glorified glass paperweight. And you're very fragile. But if you will simply place yourself into the the relational connection that I have, you have been called to. You were created to do life with me. And if you will simply spend time with me, remain with me, get deeply connected to me, then you will do what you were created to do. You'll produce fruit. But in both of these metaphors, whether it's a, a, a branch off of the vine or it's the bulb that was created to bear light, In both of these, what we recognize is that the productivity is a byproduct or the fruit is a byproduct of the connectivity. You have to remain connected if you hope to produce fruit. This makes sense, right? Because a branch by itself is dead. A light bulb by itself can't produce light. But when we remain connected, intimately connected to our power source, we can't help but do what we were created to do. Now, this makes sense with these metaphors, but here's the problem. Within the Christian faith, we tend to invert this. We tend to buy into the belief that if God is going to want, is God is going to, want to spend any time with me, we're going to have to earn it. So I've got to try really hard. I've got to be really fruitful so he'll want to spend time with me. So he'll want to have anything to do with me. I better shine really brightly so that he'll want to allow me to to be able to connect myself to him. As if our productivity leads to our connectivity. And that's the opposite of the message that Jesus was saying in John 15. The complete antithesis. You were created to do life with him. You were created to be in relationship with him. And from that relationship, you were created to bear fruit. The kind of fruit that we talk about in the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience. Being a patient person in a world that is completely impatient. You know, kindness, self-control, those kind of fruits. That's the stuff that can be produced when you are resting in your relationship with God. More often than not, what what I find, and I find this in my own life, is that when I am trying to serve God, I become more and more frazzled, more and more frustrated, less and less loving, less and less patient, less and less kind. I'm snapping at people because I'm trying to serve God. I'm trying to represent Him. I'm trying to shine. Don't you realize I'm a light bulb? Jesus loves you! Kind of thing. That's my strength. My effort, my will. And Jesus says, you got it backwards. John 15 reminds us that we were not designed to be cell phones. That's what I've learned. 
right? You are not designed to be a cell phone that plugs yourself in for an hour or two. Maybe it's for five minutes in the morning, you plug yourself in. And then you unplug and you go off and you serve him and represent him and love other people. Yeah. Or, or maybe it's you plug yourself in for an hour and a half on a Sunday morning. Then you unplug and you go off and you be his representative doing good stuff for him throughout the week. No, you weren't created like that. Because that mindset says, I was created to connect for a little bit and then go off and do my own thing. He says, you are not a cell phone. You're a light bulb. And yes, you're going to shine for me. You won't be able to help but shine. But in order to truly do what you were created to do, you must remain in me at every moment of every day, 24-7. Be with me. Learn from me. Find your identity in me. Don't find it in what you do. Don't find it in how successful you are at representing me. Don't find it in how well your kids treat other people. Don't find it in how happy your spouse is. Don't find it in how many Facebook likes you get or Instagram likes you get to a post that you put up. Don't find it in whether or not you get that raise at work. Don't find it in anything but me. That's your identity. You're my child, my son, my daughter, my disciple. So be with me. And from that, from that comes the fruit. Naturally, it's produced. Now I get that here. <laughs> but it's really difficult to get it here. It's really difficult. I've, I've taught this countless times. But living it out, that's a lot more difficult because I find that more often than not, I, I, I kind of unintentionally flip into Martha mode. Right? You know the story. Jesus comes into town and there's this woman, Martha, who is the consummate hostess. So she opens her home up to Jesus. Come on in. <clears throat> and she goes into overdrive to make his stay as comfortable and wonderful as possible. She's going to bless Jesus. And so she begins to clean. She begins to cook. She begins to, to prepare drinks and bring them out to them. She's doing everything she can to bless Jesus and his disciples. And she's doing it alone because her sister, her sister decides that she doesn't need to help. She's just going to go and sit at Jesus' feet as if she was one of his disciples. How inappropriate. And she's, she, th th her frustration as she's trying to bless Jesus over here continues to well up to the point where she gets so mad. She storms into the room and says, Jesus, do you, do you not see how wrong this is? My sister is making me do everything. She's just sitting there. Tell her to help me. Because we want to bless you. And Jesus just looks at her and goes, Martha, you're so worried about so many things. And, and, and only one thing is really important. Mary is chosen. What's more important? And I'm not, gonna, not about to take it from her. Just be. We are a people who oftentimes try to lead by producing fruit to bless God. And in so doing, we forget about our need to remain with him. I am a person who so often tries 
to produce light, but I do so by my own effort. I'm trying to glorify God, trying to serve Him, trying to do lots of good things, but doing so on my own effort rather than out of, out of an overflow of my time with Him. And I'm reminded of this every time I get up the mountain to Palomar. It's like my happy place. I feel like I can hear God and be more present with Him when I'm up in the Cathedral of Creation. So about one, three or four times a year, I head down to Oceanside, hook a left, and go up to the Palomar Mountains, and I just spend time in the mountains on my own with him. A couple of times ago when I went up there, though, I, I, I made the mistake of bringing my computer and bringing my, my to-do list, and I spent the first day and a half of my 48 hours up there doing work for God in Martha mode. I was, I was preparing messages. I was looking over the plan for last year. I was doing lots of different stuff for him. And in the process, I was not in any way being with him. He was there. I just wasn't aware, but I was serving him. I was in Martha mode all the way. And so I, I, I woke up on the morning of my final day there. It was about six in the morning. And I put on my warm clothes and I hiked down to what is my favorite place. Here's a picture of it. There's a, a place on the mountain with a stream that kind of comes through. And there's two saplings that just cringe every time I show up because they're about a quarter of the size of what they should be to hold a hammock for a man my size. And so I kind of hang my hammock in between and then they just kind of go. And we find an equilibrium where I can lay there where they're not breaking and I'm not on the ground. And then I, I as, so I'm sitting there about 6.30 in the morning in my, in my happy place. I got my Bible in one hand and my journal in the other. And I go, okay, God, I'm here. What do you want to tell me? You just lay it on me. I, do you want me to read something? Do you want me to write something down? Give it to me. <laughs> and it, I've never audibly heard God's voice, but about as clearly as I've heard him, he lays on my heart, is this how you spend time with your wife? <laughs> and I'm like, and by the way, there was no, there was no like anger or, or punitive tone in that. It was, it was almost like he had a smile and he was saying, is this how you spend time with Kathy? And I, I was taken aback by it because I th started thinking about how I spend time with my girl. And I'm like, no, I, when I spend time with Kathy, when we go on a date, it's not to get the download from her. It's not to get information from her. It's not to get something from her. It's just to be with her. And I felt like when I, when I realized that, he goes, well, can we just do that too? Can we just spend time together? Do you just want to be with me? And in that moment, it was as if he took that switch that was in Martha mode and he kind of switched it to Mary mode. And I felt permission to put my Bible down, put my journal down, put my expectations down and simply just be and to appreciate the beauty of his creation all around me. Appreciate the beauty of the world as it woke up and the birds as they begin singing their worship song of creation. And that was about the most peaceful, wonderful hour and a half I'd spent in months. I didn't want to leave, but eventually that time ended. I packed up my hammock, hiked back up to the cabin, packed up all my stuff, drove down the mountain, kissed Kathy, wrestled with the boys. But this whole time, as I'm, as I'm coming back down the mountain, as I'm engaging with my family and kind of reacclimating to life, it's not like 
I left God's presence when I left the mountain because he was with me the whole way down. He was with me when I walked into the house. He was with me as I was with my family. This is the reminder that I hope that we get this morning is that God is not simply here between 10 and 11.30 on a Sunday morning or during your life group throughout the week. He is not simply present when you crack your Bible during your quiet time, whether it be morning, evening, or night, whatever. It's not just in those moments that God is present. He is present with you every moment of every day, 24-7, and he longs to do life with you in everything. Not just when you're praying, not just when you're reading your Bible, not just when you're sitting here worshiping, but when you're brushing your teeth or when you're sitting in traffic on the way to work or when you're doing laundry or when you're at the gym, he's even there. The thing I have begun to realize about doing life with God is that the most important, the best part of abiding and remaining in relationship with him isn't the fruit that's produced. It's not even the maturity that comes from doing life with him. The best part of doing life with God is God himself. That's the best part. Just being with him, like my boy when we're worshiping and he just cuddles in there, or this puppy that we just got that makes me sneeze sometimes, just holding her in my arms. The best part for her is being held. And the best part, honestly, for me is when she's just there or when my boys are just there. That blesses me. And I'm a fallible human being. Imagine how it blesses him when we recognize and acknowledge you are here with me and I'm here with you. And I just want to be with you. I want to live the kind of intimate connection that you created me for. And if you want to use me, then use me. Help yourself to my life, but I'm yours. Let's do life together. Guys, that is eternal life. Eternal life doesn't have to begin when you shuffle off this mortal coil and you go to be with Jesus. He's already with you. And we get to experience eternal life here and now in the midst of this broken world. We get to produce fruit that nourishes others to eternal life. We get to produce light that helps lead people to the same hope and the same fulfillment that we have found. Because they're looking for it in all the wrong places. This world is broken. It has been skewed by sin. And nothing in this world can satisfy the way that our Father God can satisfy And if you have found that, then rest in that. And out of that connection, your life will be a beacon of hope. Is this making sense? I'm really glad because if it wasn't, I have nothing better to give you. (laughs) So we were created to do life with God, to fall deeper and deeper in love with him as we continue to screw our lives deeper and deeper into intimate connection with him. And it's not like a cell phone that you disconnect to go do other stuff. It's like that bulb. It's like these branches. They can only survive by remaining inextricably connected. But what does that mean for us now in the 21st century? What does that mean for us as lighthouse? 
How are we, if we're called to make disciples who love God, how are we going to do that? A couple of things, a couple of thoughts. And this is just scratching the surface. There will be more that will come. But three things I want to identify. Number one, back in September, October, and November of this last year, we worked through the book of Ephesians. And that book, from beginning to end, is built off of the idea, the understanding that we are sons and daughters of God, that our identity is not founded in anything we do. It's founded upon upon who we are as his sons and daughters of God, and we are completely and utterly secure in his love. So you don't have to earn it. Instead, you can live out of it. If you missed that message, or if you missed that series, if you're new to the church, or perhaps you just forgot and you want to remind yourself, I would, I would encourage you to go back and listen at the very least to the first two conversations we had. Because they set the foundation for everything we're going to be talking about moving forward throughout 2019. There's a reason why we studied that book in 2018. It built the foundation that we are going to build upon this year as we begin to talk about Okay, God, what have you created me to do? What is my vocational calling in the midst of this broken world? We can't build that before we have the foundation of our identity in Christ. Okay? So, one, if you haven't listened to it, you can just go to lighthousecommunity.com. You can go to the resources page. All of our messages that we've given for like the last decade are there. But I would encourage you to listen to the first two messages from our Ephesians series. Secondly, This time on Sunday morning is important. I would say it's not the most important time of our week. Probably the most important time is when we get together in community and life groups. We'll talk more about that next week. But this gathering time is a time that we hope you will come face to face with God. And I would say this. It often feels like the message is the key focus of the whole weekend. That the message is almost like the diamond and and everything else we do from the worship to the announcements and all that other kind of stuff is the setting that holds the message. And I want to tell you that that is, is flawed thinking. And if I have given you that impression or if the structure we have for the service has given you that impression, I apologize. Because what I'm doing right now is not the most important thing. The most important thing for Sunday mornings, for our gatherings together, is that you would come face to face with God and that you would have an opportunity to commune with him as we strip away the stuff that distracts us and all of the tasks that you've been carrying on your shoulders. The most important thing we can do is simply rest in his presence and give space for him to speak to us. And hopefully the message will set that up But I would suggest the most important part of a Sunday morning is what comes after the message. During that response time, we we typically have about five to ten minutes of worship out of the the end. Typically, there's a couple of songs. Sometimes there's more of a direction of what we're going to be doing in prayer. That's the most important time because that is the space that we set aside to go, okay, now just sit with God. And sometimes as as the band plays, you may feel compelled to just sit in your seat and silently let the Holy Spirit continue to, to speak to you because he's doing something. Maybe it's to have a journal conversation. Maybe it's to come and get prayer from somebody. In a few minutes, we'll have some of our, our um, elders and pastors uh, available to pray with you. Maybe it's just getting prayer and inviting somebody else to help carry in a prayerful way the stuff you've been carrying throughout the week. Or maybe it's 
to engage in those songs that hopefully articulate the cries of our heart. And if you find yourself checking out at the end of the service, maybe as soon as the message ends, you head for the back door, you go get your kids or whatever it is, um, so you can go get that seat at the restaurant before everybody else gets there, you're missing the best part of what we have to offer on Sunday mornings. And I want to encourage you, lean into that response time. Finally, there's probably a lot of you that are like me. It's real easy to switch into Martha mode. It's really easy to think that what we do defines our relationship with God rather than just resting in what he's already done for us, resting in his love and out of that, letting him use us. And it's probably difficult for many of you, like me, to recognize God's presence in every moment of every day. And somebody that really understood this is a guy named Brother Lawrence. He he lived about 300 years ago. And he was a, a monk that was uneducated. But he entered into ministry and, and he found that he could be just as intimately connected with God as he was washing dishes as when he was on his knees in worship. And, and he had some conversations with a guy who ended up finding so much hope and importance in that that, that he, he wrote down the, the conversations he'd had with Brother Lawrence who probably couldn't have written them himself. And from that, we have this little book called The Practice of the Presence of God. This little book, it's, it's very thin, um, has been instrumental in helping remind me as I've returned to it again and again. It's reminded me that God isn't just here when we show up on a Sunday morning between 10 and 11.30. He's not just at my life group or during my quiet time in the morning. He is in every moment of every day and I can commune with him when I'm driving to work or, or walking, I should say. Or I can commune with him when I'm making the bed or vacuuming the floor or when I'm raking the leaves. He is just as present, just as palpable, and just as close then as when we're here. And if you struggle because you find yourself in merry mode, I want to simply make this available to you. Now, some of you may may like to read things electronically. You can download this from Amazon for like a buck or two. It's not, I mean, it's been out for 300 years. Yeah. If you would like a hard copy, you like to read analog, I would like to make this available to you. So all I want you to do is on your connection card, just write, I want a book, practice of the presence of God and write your name. And I'm going to buy however many copies you ask for this week. And it'll be our gift. This is an investment in you because we long to help you be able to rest in him, to to fall more deeply in love with him, to become more aware of his presence in every moment of every day. And so it is a small price to pay in that because that will be foundational to us being able to do what God has called us to do, namely to be light in the darkness and to bear fruit that will help others to nourish them towards healing and hope and ultimately eternal life. So in a few minutes when we take the the offering, if you would like that, just, just put it on the connection card. I want a copy and we'll have it for you next week. But now... Let's prepare ourselves for the most important part of our service. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. We're going to spend some time responding to God. Fippers and and, and Randy and Patty, if you guys would make yourselves available over here. Kathy and I will be over there. Jeff is in the back. Hey, Rich, why don't don't you guys as well, you, you and Joyce, if you'll be available. If you want prayer, they're here to pray with you. We are here to pray with you.
If you want to just sit there and continue the conversation that God has begun with you, the Holy Spirit has been speaking, if you want to just remain silent this time and and just consider what we've been talking about, if you want to get on your knees or you want to raise your hands, oftentimes our hearts follow the posture of our body. So that's why you see some people standing up and raising their hands and other people might come down here and get on their knees. This is a way of leading our heart into worship. But now let's just go ahead and worship our God together as a family. Because he's been here with us the whole time. Now I just want to acknowledge that and spend some time responding to him. Jesus, we give you the rest of this time together. We give you our lives. Help yourself to us. Have your way with us. We thank you, Father, that you did not create us to be cell phones. who need to be charged up. That we, are, we were created to remain connected to you. May you help us to do that. Jesus, in your holy name. Amen.